This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, today we talk about how your kids will bicker, but no worries. It's an opportunity to develop peacemakers who seek the good of others. Also, David can't get his quotes right again, (laughs) and Rachel can't relieve herself. So there you go. David. Hey, Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to the Growing Up With Kids podcast. I'm We're David. Glad. I'm Rachel. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to our listeners. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us this week. We're excited to talk about the topic we have going on. Uh, if you're... Do, do you want to tell them what the topic is? No. Oh. <laughs> Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> you have to wait and see. Agitators. Ooh, yes, that's a good clue. Yeah. Agitators. Keep going. Okay, so here's my um, little situation of the week. I. Your parents went away on a two weeks vacation? What? Here's the situation. My parents went away. Why do you Are make you me sing? <laughs> it's fantastic. It is fantastic. You okay. know exactly what I was talking about. You just wanted to hear it. <laughs> so. It's so Me. great. It's so funny. Okay, so I have a jumpsuit that I'm wearing. It's hip and cool and with it. Can you, for our listeners and maybe me, define <laughs> what a jumpsuit is? Yeah, it's like a one-piece garment of clothing. So it's like this cute little black one-piece that you like, like the whole, the top and bottom are all attached and there's a cute little belt in the middle. Does it have to be pants uh, on the Yeah, I don't really know. Okay. I'm not these super are, familiar. These are pants, though, right? Yeah, these particular ones are pants. And um, here's what I know. I haven't worn a jumpsuit since I was maybe five years old. <laughs> but they're like, they've been cool, right? So I finally broke I down. I don't know. No, they, they cool? have. They have been cool for right. a little while now. And I have not bought one until recently. And I love it because it feels like pajamas. They're not pajamas, but it feels like pajamas. Yeah. Here's the big disadvantage that I realized... Pretty suddenly when I had to use the restroom pretty quickly. You can't just pee in them like you do your pajamas? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I always think you're going one way and then you go the other. (laughs) So the trouble, if you're a girl, I'm sure that if you've worn a jumpsuit and you're cooler than I am, because I think they became popular two years ago. So other girls probably knew this, but I didn't. I go to the bathroom pretty badly, public restroom, realized when I got there, that there was nothing quick about a jumpsuit. So you have to like, I was wearing like a little sweater over it. So I had to take the sweater off and figure out where to hang my sweater while I took off the belt. And I took down like everything. And then you're like sitting on the toilet with like nothing on. It is so exposed in a public restroom. It feels so naked. That's super awkward. Right. I know. So two options. One, don't wear a jumpsuit. That's not an option because I look cute in a jumpsuit. Two, the other option, don't drink water for two days so you never have to pee. And then wear your jumpsuit. Yeah. So you just, you go, no drinking before the jumpsuit. The pajumpsuit? The pajumpsuit. Did I say that? <laughs> the jumpsuit. I think that's the way to go, Rachel. 
I think so. Or you could just buy clothes that like come apart in the middle, like like normal like, people. Well, like me. Well, just <laughs> I don't have like, any onesies that'll just, think. <laughs> there was a trend like that I saw and ignored because it's terrible of like men jumpsuits. Oh, I also saw like men onesies that were shorts. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's not, silly. It's not me. I mean, this is so crude, but I'm going to say it anyway. Can you imagine being at a urinal with a jumpsuit? Like, how does that work? It's probably got a zipper. I don't know. We can solve a lot of things with a zipper. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, they solved that issue with Spanx. I think Spanx is a very similar problem. When you wear Spanx as a girl. How did they solve it? They cut a hole in the crotch. For reals? Yeah. <laughs> There's just a hole in the front of your Spanx? It's like a like a peak hole. That's... Ridiculous. I know, I know. But those things, like, I don't ever let you watch me put them on because it's not, it's not pretty. Um, so getting them on and off is a feat. Anyway. That reminds me of, like, old-time cartoons when they always used to have, like, the flap in the back. Yeah. I've that's... never actually seen a <laughs> pair of clothing with a flap in the back. But yeah. in, like, 1970s and 1980s cartoons, everyone was wearing yeah. them. And if you'll take note, those flaps are in the back of what? Jumpsuits. I thought they were usually like pajamas. No, I mean, jumpsuits look like pajamas, but they're not. So speaking of things from the 80s, um, when I was a kid, this this has to do with our topic today. Jumpsuits, not so much. This has to do with our topic. Are you ready? Only in the fact (laughs) that there's a word that has two meanings (laughs) and this story uses that word, right? Yes. So one of my favorite pastimes when I was a child of the eighties was, um, that the washing machine my parents had was a top loader. I don't even know if they made front loaders outside of like dry cleaners or like, um, wash and folds. Anyway, top loader had an agitator in the middle and I would put clothes in and there was no like child safety lock on them. Because it was the 80s. They didn't think that children were so stupid, but we were. And I would hold like an old tea towel in there and turn it on to the spin cycle, holding on to one end of the garment and then letting the other end fly in the spin cycle. It would get faster and faster and faster. And the best was you would hold on to it and it would like shake you around and it would just like spin out until you'd have to let go. But it was, I did it over and over. It's like bull riding. Yes. You should have timed it. Totally. See how long you can hang on. I agree. It's possible that I did time it. I just maybe don't recall that part. But yeah. Because you were shaking and spinning. (laughs) Yes. It was awesome. I loved it. Anyway, that was the agitator of the washing machine. How do you get away with that without your mom knowing the machine? Like the most machines are loud, right? Because in the 80s, parents didn't really care about their children. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're doing this podcast. I was actually talking with a friend the other day, and this is just an uh, like an interesting notation, that parenting, like the verb of parenting actually did not come into play until the 70s when it became sort of like how the word you're like you become an adult now. And yeah. now it's termed as you are adulting as if it's a verb or something you should be doing. Right. Parenting was similar in the 70s. Um, you just became a parent and it was just something that you were. And it didn't become a verb and like dissected as something you did until someone they started studying it and giving all these tips. And selling books. And selling books, exactly. Or doing podcasts. Yeah. Which by the way, oh, buy wait. our book. <laughs> we haven't written it yet, but just go ahead and pre order. <laughs> 
All right. On that note, let's get to our topic of the day, which is about agitators, um, uh-huh. similar to the washing machine. It's what to do with our kids when they are agitators with each other. Yeah, this comes up because we are literally telling our children to stop agitating each other nonstop lately. I don't know what is going on, but it is constant. Yeah, well, I think that's an interesting note. We're going to get into a bunch of different things, but I do feel like this experience of being in the pandemic, having less places to go, having less uh, interaction with their own peers and less planned activities that take them away from the family, like sports, school, any of those things, right, Um, is rubbing up against those relational kind of dynamics a little bit where they, and I feel like that's been playing out a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I almost feel like agitating your brother is their like entertainment because there's such a lack of entertainment and fun things to do. Yeah. That's like the top of the list, unfortunately. Oh, I can't have screen time. Well, I'll just go bother my brother. Don't worry. I'll be fine. <laughs> so where do you want to start? Well, yeah. So I want to define agitating. I would say like we've touched on it, but one of the best memories, again, jumping back to the 80s, when I would sit in the back seat of the um, the Ford Taurus, what's it called, station wagon. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Did it have wood paneling? I feel like you oh, told yeah. me. Oh, nice. yeah, had wood paneling. Um, so when I would sit back there with my sister, we would always cross the line. There was not oh, really yeah. not really a line, but like my fingers, I would just like cross it ever so slightly and she would go through the roof with anger and vice versa. She would do the same thing with me and then it'd get a little further and I would kind of like poke her and she'd poke me back. And it, like that level of that's agitation, you yeah. know, like where you you know the lines, you cross them just to make your brother or sister mad. Yeah, we were so bad in the car that probably around when I was five or six, my parents bought a conversion van, <laughs> not a minivan, like a full size van <laughs> with the captain's chairs in the middle. Did it did have a removable table, like, oh and gosh. the table had drink holders in it. Nice. They bought this used from some friends who were moving out of the country, and uh, and we, like there were strict rules. Like my brother had one on the captain's chair, my sister wanted the back bench, so she got the whole bench, uh-huh. and then I got the other captain's chair. And that was like where we sat all the time. And oh it was what we God. used for uh, family road trips. It actually worked out decently well. Yeah. Because before that, that line thing, it's all the time. Yeah. I feel like that's why we have a minivan. Question is, did your mom have a perm at the same time as she had a conversion van? Yeah. I don't want to talk about it, but yes. <laughs> I'd imagine she doesn't want to talk about it either. <laughs> I'm sure not. Anyway, anyway that's um, so like poking. Some people call it needling, annoying, power plays. And then all of these things sort of bubble up to the anger. So um, can we talk about the power piece of this? Because I think that's a big chunk of what's going on. Because you're so familiar with it? I like power plays. Yeah, Rachel. (laughs) Um, Well, I just think as a youngest child, you feel like you have, which I am, uh, when you are a kid, you feel like you have so little power in so many ways. You're smaller usually. Um, you know, your, your brother and sister, they may not be smarter, but they are older. And so they know things you don't know and whatever. Um, and so, and they, they, you know, they just tell you what to do. Like, and that somehow that works and it's super frustrating. And so I feel like this was an avenue of like finding ways to gain power either through annoying one of the other kids or sort of teaming up with one of your siblings against the other kid. Um, anything that's sort of like, gives you a sense of control and a sense of like, 
I always feel like I'm less than or I'm smaller than or whatever. And now in this moment, I feel like, oh, I have some power. I have some control. Yeah. And I feel like that plays out up. It also plays up down, you know, because there's a sense of like, you know, as you get older, I think you're dealing with all kinds of things with your friends and you feel insecure. And so coming home and needling your brother or sister who's younger, who you do have some either physical or kind of mental power over is, is it's a relief. Yeah. I'm not saying that's, that's okay, but I think that is the source of a lot of what goes on between siblings. I totally agree. I think that sibling rival rivalry can often be deduced to power plays over and over and over. Um, yeah, and where you fall in the in the birth order makes a difference. Like I would say, as an oldest child, I just was, if I had a bad day, I wanted to express dominance, mm. you know, and to sort of feel that power through control and like telling other people what to do, which is the dynamic that we see in our family as well. Right. Um, and the youngest tends to uh, be a little bit like just like bothersome or like almost playful. It can be perceived as playfulness until it's not, yeah. you know, it like barely crosses, crosses the line. Same thing with like the oldest child can often be perceived as being helpful until it's not. Yeah. Um, and the poor middle child just tries their hardest to fit in wherever they can and keep the peace <laughs> until it's, until they don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I do think that's an interesting point, which is that often needling or agitating starts as kind of mutually entertaining. Yeah. And then it gets beyond, we get that a lot with like wrestling, which is a little bit different what we're talking about, but where the kids will be wrestling and everything, everyone's having a great time until they're not right. Someone gets hurt either intentionally or accidentally and they retaliate and it just devolves. And you can see that with verbal fights as well as physical fights. Exactly. So, um, I feel like when there is agitation or annoyance or this kind of bickering, my first response is to just nip it in the bud, to just stop yeah, how the do behavior. You do that? Oh, yelling. <laughs> it's super great parenting. I, I get agitated, I guess ironically or coincidentally. Um, and so I'm just like, stop it. And um, I don't think that's the best way to go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's more of a confessional <laughs> than advice. I feel like that's the majority of our podcast being like, actually, we did this and it's not it's not advisable. <laughs> yeah, I feel like how we respond is very short-sighted and how we should respond is really long-term thinking, right? Yes, I think the short-sighted nature of it, and we've talked about this, I don't know, it's probably been almost a year that we talked about siblings getting along, but um, we tend to want to produce behavior rather than like nurture into a long-term vision. And yep. so Can like, I, or I would just say yeah. more, even more often we want to stop behavior we don't like. Yes. Because I find bad behavior to be super embarrassing, especially when we're in, when we're in public. And so I just want it to stop yeah. and I will do anything to get it to stop, <laughs> you know? Um, so not the best solution, but, almost always the most frequent solution that we seek. So what we wanted to talk about today was more healthy, getting a healthier perspective on um, on producing long-term right. kids, like what, what we're actually aiming for and how to do that in the now instead of having a quick response that might be actually feeding into the agitation that you're feeling in the family. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um 
Do you have some thoughts on how you want to do that? Or you want me to just ask questions? Well, you should just go. <laughs> like, leave. I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, your face got really serious. I know. It was funnier that way. <laughs> well, this was our last podcast. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so here's one thing I'll talk about. You're like, I don't know where to go from here. No. You, sometimes you just throw me, uh, throw me a loop as you do loop. I know. It's funny. So I think when our kids fight, so, well, here's a distinction. When our kids have a disagreement or an issue with a kid that is not ours, right? Like we engage with our kid. If there was like a physical altercation or something like, and I mean like a minor one, or just something that was obvious where we may need to ask the the other kid to apologize, we might do that. But generally we're not going to like discipline the other child, right? Right. And so if our kid comes to us and is like, so-and-so I was playing with and he or she was mean to me or called me a name or did whatever, you know, took my toy, like that's an opportunity for us to talk about with them how life isn't fair <laughs> right. and, and that it's not okay what they did, but that you're going to need to learn how to develop some grit and, and get through that. But when, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say like, life isn't fair. Like, I feel like that's like the 1980s version again. Like I think that can be a blow off. I just want to clarify that that's not a blow off. That is an actual like desiring to explain like, Hey, this, this may not feel fair. Yeah. And most of life doesn't actually feel fair rather than like taking the tone of like, well, life's not fair. What are you going to do? Which I think is a 1980s <laughs> permed hair mom thing to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't speak for my permed mom, but or for all <laughs> permed moms, I don't know. Um, yeah. I do not mean that as a blow off. I mean that as like actual processing, like, Hey, things are unkind. Things are unfair. Sometimes people are unkind. You can control your side of it. So you can go to them and talk to them about it. You can walk away. You get to choose how you respond, but you can't make other people do things. So I think that is, it is not an excuse as a parent to blow off their experience. It yeah. is actually an opportunity to engage and real and even hear like, Hey, it's not fair. That sounds terrible. How are you feeling about it? Like get into those weeds with them. Yeah. But, um, you can't necessarily fix it for them. And I think if you try to fix all those things for them, it's actually a, a, a hindrance, right? To their development. Yeah. I think it comes from like, I think this perspective stems a bit from viewing the job as a parent. Like I, I think that, well, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but I think it's easy to view the job as a parent as being the judge of what is fair and what is not, or what is wrong and what is right. And you always want to point your children into the right direction or into the fair position or into the whatever you, whatever you think is good in that moment. But rather than being a judge, like pushing them to, um, to trust their gut, to build self-confidence, to build grit, to let them know like you actually don't need my advice or anyone else in the world for that matter if you have a compass that's pointing north, like in the right direction. Yeah. I think that point is worth repeating and emphasizing, which is as parents, we do not want our job to devolve into being the judge Mm -hmm. of their disputes, right? Like I think we offer some wisdom and some third party, if you will, kind of view on things and we can help them see what's right and what's wrong. But when our kids are agitating each other, it's more often that they're both right and they're both wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how life is in general. Like when we have conflict with people in our life or conflict or work, usually it's a mix of 
me being a little bit right and a little bit wrong. It's not 100% one way or the other. And so helping them in that nebulousness um, or nebulosity, as I like to call it. <laughs> Did you make that up? Yeah. <laughs> I love your face. You're like, yeah, you like, you like that. <laughs> you going to leave me now? <laughs> but no, if we help them in that murkiness and that muddiness of life, that's a skill set to have long term. I agree. And I think it flies directly in the face of our current culture um, because I think our culture demands that we take a side, no matter where or yeah. what you are. Like, like our culture is so demanding that if we can raise kids um, who are thinking on behalf of both sides and able not just to think on behalf of both sides and feel forced to choose a side, but rather being able to think on behalf of both sides and saying, there's some gray here and I don't know, and taking a posture of humility in a culture that just like pushes the other direction, mm-hmm. you're raising some really some kids who will be really influential. Not to say that they should back down from having opinions or from doing the right thing in a really significant way, but having them, like teaching a kid how to think on all sides is going to serve them so well in almost any area that they go. Yeah, because what we're not saying is you want kids who just agree with everybody or who are always in the middle of the road, whatever that road is. Right. But actually having the ability to see nuance, to recognize when they feel wronged and be okay with that and right. be able to like function in that and recognizing that they also wrong people and so their interactions are not someone's the hero and someone's the villain, but that actually you know, we're all on some level villains and heroes. Like even in our marriage, like sometimes I'm a jerk to you. I mean, like once or twice it's happened, right? Like, or even (laughs) like- For me, it's happened like 10 times. (laughs) (laughs) Like even when we have interactions where I feel justified in being hurt, I usually also have done something, you know, part of it is on me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I've either made it worse or I did something at first that kind of went down that road or there's a pattern that you're playing off of that's, 15 years deep now, right? Exactly. So uh, all that to say, like, our kids are going to bicker because they know how to push each other's buttons. There's an opportunity for power there. They're close to each other, like the people we're closest to physically and spend the most time with, especially during a pandemic. Like, you're going to run into issues. And when they do, one of the things we want them to help to see is to see that they're not 100% right they're not 100% wrong most of the time. Right. Um, and they can, you know, they can stand strong in themselves without having to be justified and prove that they're right and their brother or sister was wrong. Yeah, exactly. So I think the job of the parents in this position is to not view yourself as a judge, but rather to view yourself as a coach or a facilitator, someone who's able to see all sides and sort of teach that from very young ages. And I think when you start building that culture in your family from very young ages, that continues. And as the situations become less benign and the stakes become higher, if you continue to position yourself as a coach or someone who just is is helping them remember who they are in that conflict, that is a really important role um, that that lets them start thinking on their own with within the context of and the safety of a family. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think I'm taking this slightly out of order, but one of um, the quotes we enjoyed from that book, Wonder, which is a great book, pretty good movie as well, um, is it's better to be right than to be kind. Wait, wait. You just I got said it it's better to be right than kind. I and th- that's so true because that's your heart. <laughs> 
my shriveled up heart. Here, oh, you know I what? I, I just had like a deja vu. I'm pretty sure one of our earliest episodes, we talked about this quote, and I got it wrong then too. Yeah, because it is your heart most of the time. This is so great. I love that we're on the mic right now, and we're not going to delete this. <laughs> Who does the editing? <laughs> if people hear a log, it'll be like the Nixon tapes. So there'll just be holes in this episode. <laughs> Wait, they skip around so much. What's going on? Well, I think I think that's an important point. Okay, you gonna, you gonna steal my point? No, go ahead. <laughs> no, you can have it. But you it, can be right. You can be right. <laughs> it's better to be kind than be right, is the saying. And again, that doesn't mean to like go wrong along with people who are clearly wrong, or to allow people to be, um, you know, t- to make you think things that aren't true are true. I think what it means is that I don't have to prove to you that I'm right if mm-hmm. I believe I'm right. And so that's why it, when you were just talking about this idea of like having that self-confidence and that strength in themselves, like if they know they're right, then they can offer kindness and gentleness. That doesn't mean they, they may try to convince someone else, hey, you're wrong and here's why. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, but, to be, but it's not life or death. It's, their identity isn't wrapped up in it. That's the, that's the phrase. Boom. There you go, is that their identity is not wrapped up in being right. And their identity is not wrapped up in being kind or that other people will be kind to them. I think that what the point that we we need to make at the beginning, I am going to just step us back just a little bit, is mm-hmm. that we, in order for our kids to be kind instead of right, or we're going to talk about being a peacekeeper versus a peacemaker, um, they need to have the grit and confidence in themselves in order to do that. So they need to be really stabilized in who they are, have a strong self-worth, I think some things to build those things in a kid, and this, I think, as we are facilitating discussions with our kids, as we're coaching them, the things we want to put in place um, that will help us with this is trusting them to make the right decision. So allowing them to um, feel in their heart what they think might be right and letting them express that and then either saying, yes, man, you have a really good compass. Like it seems like your gut is on track or pushing back and being like, Hey, I actually think you might not have the right track here. Let me, let me re guide you. Let me put you on a different track and let's try that and see how that feels in your gut. But you're teaching them how to feel in their own body and in their own minds and hearts, what can be wrong and what can be right. And then it builds this confidence and it allows the child to be trusted. The next thing I would say is, um, allowing them to experience consequence. Those can be natural consequences but there are obviously other consequences as they grow up that come into play, but allowing children to feel that and being with them in that is going to build confidence. The third thing I would say is that offering them encouragement. So you're a facilitator and you are their cheerleader and you are their coach. Um, and that, um, in encouraging them, you're demonstrating and you're modeling how to step outside of yourself and care for them. And lastly, I would say, something that builds their confidence is strong, expressed boundaries. Um, so some might call this discipline, some might call this whatever. Like, But I would say boundaries are going to give a child more room to play. In those four topics, I think we're going to uh, jump into those maybe over the le- next four weeks and do a few short episodes on what those things might actually look like. But I wanted to set the stage to say, like, in order to have – 
the ability to be kind, you really do have to have confidence and grit and sort of this like this core that can withstand a lot of things. Like I think of, um, it is in, it's in Isaiah in the Bible, but like it talks about being a strong oak tree where your roots go deep and you have, um, this strength to essentially be this strong pillar that the wind can whip around and it's not shaken. You're not moved because you are grounded in the Lord. And I would say that that is what we're trying to build, our strong oak trees, where the wind can whip around. The culture can say X, Y, or Z, but our children are not shaken because of because the, they have the confidence and they believe in exactly who they're supposed to be. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add, that was probably the best three minutes of our podcast ever, so good work. <laughs> I just need to shut up more. Uh, but... The only thing I would add is that all those four things you just talked about and this idea of strength and grit, that comes from difficulty, right? Like yeah. we don't bring difficulty to our kids. They're going to have plenty of difficulty in their lives um, just naturally. But what we want to really not do is try to avoid difficulty or take it away as quickly as possible as opposed to letting them sit in it and grow and build those muscles, whether it's the muscle to understand what's right and what's wrong, the muscle to offer generosity to someone who's not generous to them, the muscle of offering kindness, um, even when someone else is not, you know, giving them the respect they deserve, even though they think they're right. Right. <laughs> so uh, all of those things come through, uh, you know, sharpening, and, and sharpening comes through a difficult experience. Exactly. And the, the greatest gift I think we can give our kids as we build their confidence is to just be with them when they're knocked around a little bit, yeah. um, not solving it for them. Or like, I think that comes into play when we talk about consequence, which again, we'll talk about these things a little bit more, but in the context of agitating siblings, the long-term view that we want to take for our kids is that we want to promote exactly what you said, being kind versus right. Um, and so out of confidence, allowing our children to find their true center and say, man, like I can be kind over being right because I don't I don't have anything to prove to anyone else because I believe in exactly who God made me to be. Yeah, that's so good. So as we're coming to the home stretch, I think one thing we want to talk about is this idea of being peacemakers mm-hmm. instead of just peacekeepers. Right. And I definitely slowed down to make sure I was getting that correct and not saying <laughs> it backwards because <laughs> I have a track record. <laughs> Um, but do you want to provide the distinction on those two? So peacemakers versus peacekeepers. Yeah, I would say that this distinction recently came up in our family because, um, we have a lot of, like, I think a tendency is to shy away from conflict and in order to keep the peace, you just go silent and you disappear. I would say that is a peacekeeper, someone who is just like, you just go into the background because you, you know that is not my fight. Don't and ruffle feathers. Don't ruffle feathers. Yep. Just be silent. Go away. I think that tends to be uh, that tends to be the tendency. Our human nature, in a lot of ways, is to just run from conflict. Mm-hmm. The other, so yeah, the other side of that is to be a peacemaker, which is actually, I would say, landing right in the middle of fight or flight. So you've got fight right? So your kids are fighting, they're agitating each other. And some kids just like go harder, go stronger, right? Like they jump right in. I would say the flight part is the peace, 
keeper part where kids disappear and they just want it to go away. And so they escape the conflict. I would say the peacemaker is the one who acknowledges the fight and says, I see that there's something wrong here, but does not disappear into the background, but rather in a really kind and confident way, dives right into the middle and pursues peace and finds resolve and finds reconciliation. And that's the kind of kid that I think we want to be raising because we are in a world where the culture and the political climate and all of these things kind of come in around our children and they can't necessarily escape it. And we need to have kids who are not just trying to run away or pick fights. We want kids who dive right into the center to try to do something. Like we want people, we want to raise people who are motivated to make change um, in a really peaceful way. And I think that starts when they're really young. Totally agree. I think the other piece. Done. <laughs> All right. Stat of the week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Rachel's out <laughs> of the relationship. I feel like I've talked so much on this episode. Well, in, in kind of closing, I do think the peacemaker is outward looking. It's part of what we talk to our kids about is, you know, you're doing what you're doing. That's one thing. And maybe it's annoying or maybe it's not. Um, but you need to be paying attention to the people around you and how they're feeling and seek the good. So seek your brother's good. Seek your sister's good. Seek your mother's good. Mm-hmm. Right. Seek the good of your friends. That and so to me, that's the peacemaking is, as you noted, an active role where you're moving towards people and sometimes moving towards conflict when there is conflict there, but you're doing it in a way to bring peace to others, not to squelch uh, the dissidents because you need this because you need it to be not you need it to be quote unquote peaceful. It's yeah. real peace that you're looking for, and real peace actually makes other people feel peace and shalom and you know comfort and love and all those things, mm-hmm. uh, and not. What I try often do, which is I just want you not to feel mad because uh, that makes me feel more stable. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that's a distinction for our kids to see others and to really uh, seek the good of, the, of them. Yeah, them. and I think it does um, – I know we're wrapping up, but it does strengthen the risk-taking muscle in our kids to become peacemakers rather than just peacekeepers yeah. or – fighters, you know, like it takes a a lot more risk to jump into the middle of something and try to promote peace and reconciliation than it does to sort of, I think when you go to a peacekeeper, you become somewhat passive and there's, I think, a tendency towards self-preservation, which means you're not really offering as much to the world that I think God naturally put into our kids. So I think we want our kids to naturally feel like I've got something to offer and then encourage them to risk it and to offer it to others around them. Yeah. Good. So just in closing here, are the, the bullets to, to keep in mind. Let me know if I missed anything here, Rach. Um, so one, just keeping in mind when our kids are agitating each other, that there's always power, power dynamics in play there and just to be aware of those. And I think to address those, uh, especially with the one who is using or trying to get power in the situation, because that gets to their heart more than just the activity or the behavior. Two, for us to be disciplined as parents, to take the long-term view, which is don't just solve the behavior in the moment, but actually what's really going on and how do we pursue our kids' hearts in that. And the things we're trying to build in them is for them to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. There you go. There you go. (laughs) For them to choose kindness over needing to prove that they're right 
um, for them to have confidence in themselves and a certain amount of grit so that when things don't go well or people aren't kind to them, that they can continue to do those first two things um, and to seek the good of those around them. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's okay to be super blunt with our kids in our intentions in pursuing those things with them. Like I would say the feedback I would have after hearing those bullets is what are the practical solutions? What do I actually say to my kids? I think you say just that, like, man, you're designed to make peace. You're designed for reconciliation. Um, you're designed for risk. Uh, here's how you're going to risk in this particular situation. Or you are made to be, a, uh, what we always say to our boys, or I always say, I think you might say it, but you are a strong pillar of a man, which means that you stand strong, you stand firm, you're holding up something significant, but the wind cannot touch you and does not shake you. And encouraging them in that to say, you are a strong pillar of a man. What does it look like to just be kind instead of having to prove your point? Those are some really practical ways that you can talk with your kid. I think it's okay to just be blunt and say, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build your confidence and grit. You're gonna, it's going to be hard for a minute, but man, I've got good things in mind for you. Yeah. And the, the one clarification I would make is we use that terminology because we only have boys, but I don't think yeah. s- strength is not gendered, right? Like right. women have real strength. Girls have strength. Boys have strength. Uh, it may or may not look different in how they, ex- you know, use it for the good of others, but, uh, you know, to call them into that strength and that love that they offer. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Ready? Stat of the week. Stat of the week. Yes. Rach, Dave, what's up? So, quick stat of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Price is Right style. Okay. So, we talked about uh, agitators and washing machines. Yeah. Um, what do you think, at least as of today, what do you think the most expensive washing machine is for sale on the Home Depot website? Ooh, good question. Um, what, what, well, let's before we even get to that number. What do you think? What, what's like the average washing machine price? Like a thousand bucks? I would say so, like a thousand or twelve hundred, maybe. Because yeah, there's definitely some that you can get for four, five, six hundred, and then there's some higher end ones, right? Yeah. I saw some portable ones. I've never even heard of a portable washing machine. What? Do you know what that is? No. I mean, it's just a really small. It looks like an almost like an ice bucket kind of thing. Why would you need a portable washing machine? Um, camping. Camping. Maybe. Maybe if you don't have the wiring and or the money, you can get it because they're cheaper. They're like two, three hundred dollars, uh-huh. and you just do a small amount of laundry. You can just it looked like maybe you can just plug it in normal, whereas you know a real washing machine has different voltage. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so how much do you think the most expensive one on the uh, Home Depot website is? Oh man, I'm gonna say like twenty four hundred dollars or something. Is that right? It's higher. Really? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. What does that washing machine do? Twenty-eight seventy-eight. Oh the my most expensive one. goodness! Yeah, it's an LG two point eight cubic feet all-in-one front load washer. Oh, it has a dryer. That's why. Oh, Bad research on my part. Shoot. Didn't read the, all the way through. Shoot. So the next one on here that is a washer alone is actually closer to your number. It's $2,300. Really? Yeah, look at that. You want to know why I might know those things? It's because I... I like looking at appliances. Just for fun? That I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have a washing machine. Oh, those are things I should not say aloud. I just realized it after I said it, but there it is. So it's like your window shopping is just to look at fancy appliances, like yeah. a washing machine you're not going to buy or a dishwasher or something? Uh, yeah, sometimes. 
Yep. Interesting. Uh huh. That I could see the like release in that. You know, well, it's just mean, like the kind of it's like a little of uh, you know. Uh, it's get aspirational, like dreaming of like, uh, oh, someday maybe I'll have a three thousand dollar <laughs> washing machine. I don't know. Well, it's sort of like um, I think it's how maybe Apple nerds like like look at certain aspects of the Apple products and be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Whereas someone like me, that's not that interested, or it's not in my everyday life, yeah. would be like, so that's you, sort of. Are dumb. you like, oh, look at that feature? How cool would that yeah, be? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. What's I know. The, what's the most not exciting? Frequently, okay. Let's pull this back a little bit. <laughs> I just want to say that I am a real person. I am not a 1952s housewife where the woman covers her head and all that BS. Like, I just, I want to clarify that I am a driven individual. The people want to know (laughs) what's the most exciting washing machine feature that you don't own right now. Steam cycle or the the top part. The top part that opens and you can wash like a small load of whites while you're washing. Yeah. Something else. So My that, friend has that, and I think it's real fancy. Oh, uh, tons of jealousy. <laughs> well, that brings me to, so the most expensive washing machine sold in Australia is more than double what we just really? talked about. Like six grand? Five ninety nine, five nine nine nine, five thousand nine hundred nine nine. 5999 <laughs> Who's the idiot today? It's me. Oh, we got jobs. We it's a twin wash, though, so it has like, but it has two different sections. Yep, that's what I like. And you can run them at the same time. Yeah, I like that. Like, you could do delicates, like a small load of delicates, and then you could do, like, colors on the bottom. Yeah. I one, think that's cool. And one of them has a heat pump dryer in it. That's cool, too. So the other thing that I've seen is that there's, like, a drawer where there used to be pedestals, you know, for, yeah. like, front loaders. So now these drawers, these pedestals, have an actual additional washing machine in the bottom. In the bottom. So yeah. you can, like, so you can add on to your washing machine. LG has that. No, I mean, I haven't researched lately. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel so dumb. I feel like people are going to be like, she stepped straight out of 1952. No, you like researching stuff and you like like yeah. convenience. And so it makes sense <laughs> that you're just like looking at things. Yeah. Let's be honest. Who does more laundry in our house? You or me? You. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how honest do I have to be? You do all the laundry. <laughs> I don't do all of it, but I do 80% of it. You do most of it, yeah. And so you're not a 50s housewife in any way, shape, or form. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. I just like the technology. I think it's cool. Yeah. That's good. Anyway. All right. Rachel, thank you for researching dishwashers oh and washing machines. And thank you for working on the farm. Hey, thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. We are so glad that you stick with us every week. Thank you so much for listening. If you could do us a favor, we would love it if you rate us or write a review on iTunes, or if you feel so inclined, share us with your friends. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you leave encouraged.